Hi, this is Against Everyone with Connor Habib, a podcast featuring my conversations with countercultural figures and presenting complex spiritual, philosophical, and political ideas in an engaging and accessible way. Well, friends, now we are in the midst of 2022, and I know so many of us are seeking peace and meaning. But one of the primary sources of meaning, religion, can feel outdated or even cruel and anti-peace if judged by its historical pathways of violence. And I know that that means a lot of people have turned to what they would call spirituality. And yet, (laughs) I also know that spirituality can sometimes just feel like religion without any of the work, any of the things that uh, make religion so potent and valuable. And if we are religious, we may feel that the spirituality isn't there, that we're only sort of touched by, uh, I don't know, community uh, events, um, just doing a sort of social justice work or tending to people. And all those things can have meaning and value for us. But is it the spiritual meaning that we're seeking when we're religious? And I think a lot of us also... (laughs) who are not religious find the longing to connect with religious traditions that may have fascinated us or comforted us or even just interested us at other points in our lives. If you are somebody who's walked away from the church, like a lot of people here in Ireland uh, who grew up Catholic have walked away from the church, but they find in their lives a sort of feeling of... uh, (laughs) I don't know. It's like an absence. They want something there. They want the ritual. They want the connection with the bigger picture, the cosmic picture even, that they know is available to them, but they don't want that messenger uh, of the church to give it to them. Um, so I'm going to spend the next uh, few episodes connecting us with one religious stream, Christianity. Uh, So I just did the series on how to live, and now I'm going to do a series on Christianity, but this will be a different sort of Christianity. I'm going to be talking about occult and esoteric Christianity. Some of this Christianity might look familiar to you, and some of it might seem absolutely bizarre, but all of it, I hope, will stir a feeling of warmth and a depth of meaning, um, as well as, you know, the idea that maybe there are purposeful actions that can be taken with this knowledge of Christianity. Maybe there are uh, intentional thoughts, new thoughts, and new ways of thinking that can be brought to bear and clarified feelings through this investigation of this kind of Christianity. And I hope that that happens whether you feel any affinity with Christianity or the occult or spirituality at all. Um, I realize that's a tall order, especially if you have a strong response against Christianity because you've been wounded by it. But just listen to the intro and see um, if we go to the same place together. Um, The aim is really to discuss how to revitalize the spirit of any endeavor or phenomena. Religion, the natural world, technology, social justice, history, politics, with the profound mystery secrets that Christianity offers. The main headquarters for this series, so to speak, uh, of this exploration will be the approach to the world developed by the late 19th, early 20th century philosopher, spiritual teacher, scientist, artist, Rudolf Steiner, called Anthroposophy. 
There are other teachers I think are very important to investigate, um, Daskalos, Peter Dunov, some of the New Thought Movement, and more. But I think the aim for me is to consider what would it actually take to be Christian, like actually Christian, and to understand um, that science and politics and art are all part of what need to be taken into consideration when being Christian without denying anybody their freedom, um, without condemning people to hell. <laughs> but also, you know, what does it look like to infuse anything with that spirit? So from um, anthroposophy come community shared agriculture, comes a system of medicine called anthroposophical medicine, comes Steiner schools and Waldorf schools, come biodynamic farming. Now, I think the other really important thing to note is that so many people have brought uh, anthroposophy and this approach of Christianity forward um, into all these different uh, endeavors and all these different social movements and so on and so forth. And the reason why it's important for me to bring that up is that this is a living process in the same way that psychoanalysis has evolved again and again and again from Freud into therapy into cognitive behavioral therapy narrative therapy into pop psychology into um, you know whatever else you want to say it all does reach back and touch Freud in a way. Now, I'm not comparing Freud and Steiner, um, and people certainly have their problems with both. But this is a tradition that has been brought forward. I shouldn't even say tradition. It's an approach to the world that has been brought forward, a kind of understanding of Christianity that's been brought forward into many different aspects of the human experience. And I think that that's really uh, a great place to have these headquarters because then we can sort of talk about Christianity in anything, um, <laughs> whether it's agriculture or art or um, whether it's an understanding of history, whatever. So I'm going to start this series with someone squarely in esoteric Christianity, and that's Reverend Patrick Kennedy, who, along with Reverend Jonah Evans, hosts one of my very favorite podcasts, The Light and Everything. This podcast blows my mind consistently. It's so beautiful. It's so invulnerable, and it's so loving. These, these two reverends talking to, the, to each other about a specific topic. Patrick is a reverend in the Christian community. So if you're unfamiliar with the Christian community, as I guess probably most of you are, <laughs> the briefest explanation is that it was founded in the early 20th century when some mainstream Christians, including one who is quite famous in his time, Frederick Riedelmeier, encountered Rudolf Steiner and asked him how to renew religion for their time for the challenges that were in front of them and that were coming, and also just for the sake of everyone's spirit, but really also in the light of needing to deepen the religious encounter with freedom and compassion. It's, just to be clear, um, the Christian community is not the religion of anthroposophy. It's not like that at all. It's the gathering of Christians in service and ritual informed by Rudolf Steiner's guidance, as well as Rosicrucianism and some other Christian teachers down the line. There's a service each week, sometimes more than once a week, in Christian community uh, churches called the Act of Consecration of Man, and it's a beautiful service. I've been to it. I'd say if you want to uh, learn more about the Christian community, 
um, I posted some show notes on patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib that can give you direction. Um, this is just the show notes for this episode. They're available to everybody. And, uh, you know, it's something you can look into. You can find a service near you as well if you want to, if that's something that interests you, to go check it out. But <laughs> I know where some of you might be thinking right now. Um, is he trying to convert us to Christianity? I, I should just say here at the beginning, I grew up without any religion. Um, my mother was raised by religious fundamentalists, um, essentially the people that put the little Bibles in hotel Uh, like, you know, those little tiny pocket ones in um, hotel drawers. And she was terrified uh, for much of her life that she was going to hell, that any misstep would anger God, and so on and so forth. And my father uh, was from a small village in Syria, and he didn't really have a religious life that could be properly approximated in the U.S. I mean, there's a church um, where I grew up that was populated by a lot of Syrian people, But I would say (laughs) the blend of nomadic, magical, superstition beliefs and Christianity from that little village were probably only truly contained within the community he grew up in. So I was not raised with religion. I was, however, surrounded by Christians. The area I grew up in in Pennsylvania was deeply religious, mostly Protestantism in one form or another in my school, but also there was a Catholic school nearby, although I had no idea what Catholicism was really. I just knew that the girls wore um, checked (laughs) skirts and the boys wore ties, and they took the bus to school, and I thought that that was weird. my mom did take my sister and I to a few churches, asking if we liked what we experienced there. And we did, I will speak for my sister here too, I think we did find some interest in it, but not anything that felt so compelling that we would become religious. That said, <laughs> I was always fascinated by the spiritual realm, spirituality. I was into spiritual topics, into magic, into spiritual philosophy, and the intersections of spirituality and science. Um, Like, if I look back, I I remember being in elementary school and writing little essays about the nature of God and heaven and hell. (laughs) So I'm not sure why, Um, you know, uh, well, there are reasons that I could guess, but it's just interesting to me that I wasn't brought up religiously, but that was following me. Um, that interest followed me, and it was following me, it followed me all through life, really. Um, I won't detail it here, but all of this is to say I had some deep orientation towards religion, but I would be hard-pressed to tell you exactly what that was, and it wasn't until I discovered esoteric Christianity later in life, both through this stream of anthroposophy but other ones um, as well, that I felt something begin to open in me that I would say is the sort of spiritual impulse and connectivity I feel today. So in a series on this sort of Christianity, I want to reaffirm to you that my interest in Christianity happened in a space of freedom, and I believe that that freedom is something that everybody deserves. They deserve to accept or reject it as they please. Otherwise, it's not really Christianity, because there is (laughs) this principle of freedom and compassion really in it at the heart of it. And in fact, I think if I had been raised religiously, (laughs) or especially like in Ireland here, you know, and been maybe violated by the force of a parent's religion or a state's religion, I might not have had the spiritual life I have now, which informs and touches on everything I do. So I just want to say all that at the start here of this series. 
This episode begins with a profound statement offered by one of the key figures of the Christian community, Alfred Heidenreich, who in 1949 offered this, um, and I say this again in conversation with Patrick, but I will say it here for you. The overriding need of the hour is to underpin and strengthen the vision of every person's immortal value and the intrinsic moral nature of our universe. Progress on this moral front weighs heavier than tanks or atom bombs. And the episode ends with uh, Patrick telling me about a poem by Thich Nhat Hanh, who I'm sure actually a lot of you are familiar with. And it's called Recommendation, and I will read that poem now because it's about love in the face of conflict. Um, so even though I, I say in the episode I'm going to read at the end, I'm going to read it now. Promise me, promise me this day, promise me now, while the sun is overhead exactly at the zenith, promise me, even as they strike you down with a mountain of hatred and violence, even as they step on you and crush you like a worm, even as they dismember and disembowel you, remember, brother, remember, man is not our enemy. The only thing worthy of you is compassion, invincible, limitless, unconditional. Hatred will never let you face the beast in man. One day, when you face this beast alone, with your courage intact, your eyes kind, untroubled, even as no one sees them, out of your smile will bloom a flower, and those who love you will behold you across ten thousand worlds of birth and dying. Alone again I will go on with bent head, knowing that love has become eternal. On the long, rough road, the sun and moon will continue to shine. I'm sure some of that strength and urgency and meaningfulness in the quote by Heidenreich and the poem by Thich Nhat Hanh resonates with you. So one Christian, one Buddhist, please listen on. And please support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib and donating today. Your supportive interaction with this show is what keeps it going and allows me to do series like this or the How to Live series that came before it. So patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. I'm so excited to start this series and very excited to start it with Reverend Patrick Kennedy. Here we go. Hi everybody! It's against everyone with Connor Habib. Hello, Patrick Kennedy. It's Connor nice talking with you. <laughs> I'm really just delighted to be here with you. Given our moment, I think I'm going to start with a quote from one of the big figures of the Christian community, Alfred Heinenreich, um, who in 1949, um, sort of facing new wars springing up. He said, the overriding need of the hour is to underpin and strengthen the vision of every person's immortal value and the intrinsic moral nature of our universe. 
progress on this moral front weighs heavier than tanks or atom bombs. And I think- Preach Heidenreich. <laughs> <laughs> yes, wow. Yeah, and I just think this really is the important place for us to start because whether or not anything by the time this episode goes up is going on in the places that we're looking at right now, uh, if those conflicts dissolve, change, which they surely will at some point, um, the task will always be this, always strengthening the vision of every person's immortal value, the intrinsic moral nature of our universe. So I thought maybe we would start there and you could talk about, well, since you clearly agree with the statement, <laughs> what, <laughs> yes. what's in that statement to bring into our time? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I gotta, I gotta also just say that's partly why I love what you do hmm. Thank and you. why it's a, it's an honor to join your show. Like I could go on and on, but I think that would be boring for your listeners because they already know it all. <laughs> but I think, um, the wounding that we do to each other, to animals, to plants, and to the earth is born of the fact that we have become blind, blind to the beingness of everything. The, that's what I think he's pointing out with this intrinsic moral nature, right? Like in some ways, morality itself has died. It's kind of like a, you know, the word almost points at things where you kind of feel like, eh, I don't know, that feels like something that comes at us from the outside. People who say you should do this or do that or not do this or not do that. And I think he's speaking about actually spiritual reality has moral power, moral energy, moral, re moral being, beingness, beings. Like when you're near a being, you, you step back and you're like, oh, and in and, and most cultures, you would bow. <laughs> That's, you encounter a being, you would bow. You would honor and feel reverence for the holiness of being. If the world and people and animals and plants are just things, well, then you can use them. You can make use of them. They become resources, like, right? Like, think about the fact that most business, uh, you know, well-run businesses have human resource departments. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that is, is, a, is a violence, actually. <laughs> like, that's not, we're not, I remember walking to, I went to the University of California in Santa Cruz, and I'd always walk by this construction site and had a big wall to, you know, so you didn't have to look at it and they got some people to paint it and they painted a bunch of children all along it playing, you know, children are most special resource. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> definitely not. Children are never resources. <laughs> oh, you know, and, and you could feel all this goodwill. Like they were trying to say it's something precious to us. And the language available was resource. Mm -hmm. And that just, for me, it, 
there's goodwill, but we actually, in our blindness, mostly are actually causing harm, not because there's willful evil, hmm. but literally no longer perceiving the beingness of things. Hmm. And so the regaining of that sight, that transformation in consciousness trickles down, to use a, a, a strangely occupied word, trickles down into the rest of our being and starts to change our behavior. Yeah, I mean, it it takes it can take us in a lot of different directions. What you've said, and you know, one of the things is if the world is not just to paraphrase Rudolf Steiner, if the world is not made out of objects and stuff, but evolving states of consciousness and different beings and evolving motion. Um, then we also do have a problem though that that always killing is happening always killing and death is happening um yeah. you know your podcast the light and everything it's like <laughs> even light is you know this death process there's this great book by uh Mas massimo scaligero yeah called the the, the loose or the light now Anybody who wants to look into Scaligero will find where he ended up toward the end of his life, which is not very pleasant as a person. Um, but this book is quite beautiful. And, you know, it, it sort of details it right from the beginning that light is actually a death process in and of itself. The kind of light that we encounter and that we call light, that when we see things, what's actually happening is a sort of fluorescence of death that's revealing the presence of different, the presence of different things. Um, or Josiah Ben Aaron also has this whole thing about, you know, we're basically these killing machines, our senses, the world is constantly dying into us so that we may perceive it. It dies into us and then is reborn as a kind of experience or in, in, imagination or intuiting things so that's just even at the base level of senses light much less animals um, and plants that have to die and then it brings into the question of you know the worth of the life of each and every human being and and how we encounter each other with this prospect that well everything's being everything is uh the evincing of a being. So how do we then value life if so much has to die just for us to even mm. be here, to exist, to sense things, to touch things, to eat, to mm. breathe? So, yeah. Yeah, that's, I think the the key is not that there is no death mm. dying, but am I killing something else for my benefit, mm. as I begin to awaken to the fact that I'm doing that a lot <laughs> in various ways, conscience starts to rise and I start to have a question, is it possible that I could instead have a being, a sense of self that is born of dying for the other? Mm. That I start to go a path of willingly dying so the other might live. Hmm. And, and that, that I think is, 
is pictured, right? That exact, it's scientifically factual that light is, you could say, the ash of a process of dying, of burning. You know, it's just that most ash looks, you know, gray and heavy, but when the sun is consuming itself, it's what it expends as a result of consuming itself, which is what it's doing, right? It's burning itself up from the inside. Radiance comes. And that radiance is full of warmth and life. Or it, it gains nothing. All of it rays out from it for the life of the world. Like our earth would just become a hard, cold rock without that gift from above. <laughs> so the sun itself is actually offering itself up for the life of the world. Very concretely. <laughs> wow. I love that you bring that up because there's this, there's the Rudolf Steiner passage to something like, um, the sun is a negative space and is by that and is through that virtue by which it shines that it's not that we receive that we merely receive the re reliability of the pattern of it rising which is beautiful and people point to that all the time right it has a lot in it <laughs> Yeah, who said was it Hafiz or someone that you know, like the sun, even after all these years, the sun, you know, just gives itself or whatever, you know. And, yeah. and G.K. Chesterton points that out. But then there's, but then also like <laughs> that constant, that constant dying into itself, that that void, that nothingness of the sun mm -hmm. in this strange way that rays out into everything, and. Um, you know, this is something I talked about a lot with Ari Torrenson on the show, who another anthroposophist. I love talking about that episode, telling people about him. Like, yeah, he's. I did an episode with a a a cultist, a cultist uh, acupuncturist veterinarian. You know, like, <laughs> but um. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's of course where I'm really, really boring. My 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 little line is not very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come up with some great descriptor for you. <laughs> but it's not. It's it is. I mean, this is obviously a little side point, but it's really amazing to operate inside of a category that is like the least interesting category in the world, right? Now. <laughs> like, and like the category that people least want to hear from: white male Christian priests. Like, whoa, whoa! Hey, you could be rich too. So at least, yeah, that's true. I'm missing, I'm missing, and I'm missing some influence and power. But anyway, yeah, we'll get back. yeah. But um, but you know, he, he the whole, you know, uh, sort of thrust of that episode was that Christ is a kind of nothingness, and that was his observation when he was doing acupuncture he said i would find this kind of christ point to heal people and at a certain point i didn't even need to, need to use the needles anymore i would find the point of nothingness and i would help them touch it or access it and then the healing would come from there and that is so profound that you bring up the sun because it just is the 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 absolute permanence of object that we think of all the time. I mean, a little kid will draw that circle with the lines. Oh yeah, off those rays, yeah, yeah. But, but it is actually a nothing in its way as well. 
Mm. Yeah, and that's so scary for people, right? You say it's a nothing. Well, then how is it a something? And, you know, and is that the goal <laughs> to be a nothing, right? And people start to freak out, I think. But I think that freaking out is healthy mm. because the abyss is scary. It is the threshold. Right. Like if it wasn't scary, like it wouldn't be the, you know, it wouldn't be <laughs> right. Right. Like what? It just, I don't know. And I think I understand, like, I understand that that part of us just wants a comfortable spirituality. Mm. Mm. But I think there's nothing for me more comforting than in the middle of utter emptiness, a generative event can take place. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because that's the future hope, I think, of everything. That that that, that power that we see in, in our Earth's star to give itself for no reason other than out of this free, which which is you could say that freedom is the abyss, right? Freedom is no other thing is forcing me to do anything. That means it's a kind of void. And that and then if anything gets born out of that, then it's a gift. Mm. Not been caused by anything else. So that, that if people are headed, right? We know this. We all are knowing this, right? The abyss is opening up in people's hearts, in people's lives. Uh-huh. And to be able to find that there is a part in me that can nevertheless love, huh. be creative, be understanding, be compassionate, be live out of conscience. Yeah, it's it's intense what you say. Freedom is an abyss. I mean, that is when we produce out of ourselves a real thought, a living thought, or a purposeful action, or a clarified or purified feeling. When we liberate those from just the forces that pull on us, then we are doing what the sun does, which is creating a sort of light that immediately burns itself out, right? Because it's not enough to just do it once. This is what we happen, right? Like this is- Yeah, yeah, wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay, we're done, now we can go back to sleep. I mean, once is better than none, right? Amen. Um, you know, it's like the seal's head rising from the surface of the water mm-hmm. once that above that skin of the surface to sort of rise and then we'll fall back down again. But the but but the idea of just coming up once, it is provides this sort of solar flare, you know, or or, or something, these act these acts of freedom. And that is an echo of what the sun does. So I love. I love that you say it that way. Um, I mean, I wonder then, <laughs> yeah, I wonder then about evil a bit mm-hmm. when we talk about, but we're going to come, we'll come back to evil mm-hmm. in the conception of the Christian community as well as your own and my own, but as much as we can, but I, I don't want to go there quite yet. What I want to talk about is it's nothing a bit more because all right, let me just let me well, just sort of break. Connor, yeah, Connor, can I ask because yeah. I feel you said something briefly there, which you practice. Hmm. Like I hear you doing that. I hear you feeling these 
thought trains that are just like headed out across the world, right? Like this happens. Now we have this reaction and now we're just going to think this thought and it's just operating in us and in people. And I always hear you being like, well, let's stop for a second. Pull out of that automatic thinking (laughs) and Uh see if we can't actually come to an original judgment for ourselves. And I'm just so curious. (laughs) Did you always have a natural bend towards that <laughs> can you describe where you were where that where that was such a call I mean did I characterize it first of all no truthfully? no it's no it's it's nice I mean one it's funny because my boyfriend always says like it's so weird to listen to you talk because <laughs> you talk and you never lose the thread like you always mm. come back to it but it might be like a half hour later, you know, like, he's like, you'll bring it back up. How do you do that? And I, I think, I think that there's just a silence, mm. you know, I mean, look, oh God. Okay. So it's all going to mm. sort of, it's all going to go off the rails now. Um, I, <laughs> you Good. know, I, I, I just want to hear for me anyway, I want to hear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it's like our, the sort of address of me where all these spirits congregate, you know, in this temple, this place, and they all want to speak. And somewhere along the line, I gained at least a feeble capacity, maybe not that strong, because I'm still a reactive asshole all the time. And just also a reactive, nice person sometimes too. It doesn't have, you not reactive isn't, reactivity isn't automatically bad. Always, yeah, amen. Yeah. <laughs> but somewhere along the line, I gained at least some small capacity to say, okay, you want to talk and you want to talk and you want to talk and you want to talk. And you all are talking within me, but you have a little time out for a moment and you can come in when you actually have something to say relevant. right? So I, I think in some ways there's a mediation of the spirits that have gathered within my address. I don't know how, some people call that like cyclical speaking or circular speaking or a certain form of storytelling or whatever. I think it just came from a kind of restraint, you know, Mm. a a holding back, which I learned from teaching, but also Mm. from running my, 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 (laughs) my spiritual science discussion group for two years in San Francisco, where I just set myself the challenge to shut up, you know, Mm. just, just shut up you know, and, and also hearing someone say about analysis once that the psychoanalysis, which I'd like to talk about a bit, but psychoanalysis, mm. like the a silence broken by the analyst sound is always more valuable than the silence broken by the analyst. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, that's really good. Like, like someone might, someone who emerges into the space to speak it will always be more valuable than my own voice. Now, I don't know if that's always true, but but holding that principle as mm-hmm. if it were true has given me a lot as well. And that must have been a dying because you're gifted with, you're a gifted thinker and speaker. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it, you know, my sister who you know would tell you that it was, a dying because I used to be really kind of a jerk. Like it took me, 
you know, and, and I still, again, I still am in some ways, but they're just, they're ways that aren't as bad as they used to be. They just aren't. And a lot of that has to do with anthroposophy. I remember her saying like, mm-hmm. it's just so weird. You know, you're just a nicer person now because mm-hmm. of this, you know? So I, somewhere along the way there was, yeah, kind of, mm-hmm. I consumed some aspect of myself and it was nutritive, you know? So, yeah. I mean, you, you obviously can do it too. So, I mean, it's, it's very nice. I mean, this, the, the capacity for listening, you know, and speaking, you're very, very aware. I mean, I think that's it, isn't it? It's just a sort of mm. like, I'll pay attention to what's rising in me and, and, and pushing within me to, to come out because there's, if there's a real care for that, if there's a real interest mm. in that, then it doesn't happen as much. <laughs> and, and now we're just going to sit in silence to see who's. Yeah, we're just going to let that sit. <laughs> Don't be talking anymore. It's going to be a great podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 for me, like that's also a, a summary of all of religious life, I guess, and the recovery of it for me. It's, the whole mystery of speaking and listening. How else do we commune? I'm going to have to shut up <laughs> and, and, and look and listen to let you in. But I also have to risk coming out through my voice to one who opens to me. I learned, I learned a lot about that from reading essays by Peter Roth, Christian uh, mm-hmm. Camp Hill community yeah. people that don't know him um i don't know what camp hill community worker like i don't actually know what you call the <laughs> well call they call somebody. themselves members when they've joined camp hill because there's actually a whole little spiritual process well little i don't know why i called it that <laughs> there's a spiritual <laughs> process by which they enter it um and then there are people who are interns and then there are people who are maybe on the way towards that but if you're really a, a longtime member then yeah yeah, well, I I did learn um, a lot about it just from reading his work. I mean, I didn't know he had written work. This is the first I'm hearing this, and he's a Christian ah. community priest. I always hear about him, Connor. I meet so many people who are like, oh, yeah, I met Peter at Rote, and I was in oh. his community. That's why I love the Christian community. I'm like, wow, who was this guy? I think it's called. Uh, so, yeah, please send me. I really, I've never oh, seen Oh, yeah, him. yeah, yeah. I will, I will. Um, but he... It's just, just beautiful. I mean, in that mm. sort of blending of the Camp Hill and Christian community impulses, which I understand some Christian community members also find a bit problematic, <laughs> but the, oh. but the, the, the weaving together of those, I think really gave him something special, but he would speak mm. a lot about, he would write a lot about silence. Um, but I think <sighs> silence is a kind of patience I have, I think in some ways, but there's, it's interesting because I'm also quite impatient person in other ways, like deeply impatient. And I was <laughs> even thinking about it today. Like I, I want, I want things to happen mm. now, even, you know, like, like my boyfriend and his friend were supposed to go to the movies together. And like, they have been taking four fucking days <laughs> to get those movie tickets. 
And I'm like, would you just have the conversation and get the movie tickets? And now it's today. And in Ireland, everybody's on Irish time. Like it is <laughs> yes. American, you know? I do know what that is. Okay. Even though <laughs> yeah. I've never spent time there. Yeah, I have Irish in me. I see. And I'm just like, could you guys just organize it? You know? And every time I'm like, every like my teeth grit eat more each time as I, I'm like, you know, huh? So, did you talk to her about getting the tickets? <laughs> and if anybody could see my face, it's the gritted teeth emoji right now. Did you talk about getting the tickets? What about today? No. How about tomorrow? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, so, in some ways, and that's a very mild version. But in some ways, I'm extremely impatient. So it's it's interesting to me how certain virtues of patience don't inform. <laughs> Others as well, well, right. I hear you doing this also a number of times, right? It's like, okay, there is a quality there, but don't get it twisted. There are plenty of places it's not yet achieved. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I feel like, I feel like that's like the theme of what is real sainthood in Christian terms. Like, hmm. I think there's this image that got put forward through a kind of propaganda of the saint, hmm. which is like the fully realized human <laughs> rather than humans through whom some shards of light are shining which is already miraculous <laughs> <laughs> and usually they're shining because they've overcome themselves and that's interesting mm -hmm. right so for our age i think that's it it's like not you are in a state of ever patientness <laughs> but you're in a wrestling uh <laughs> encounter with yourself and sometimes there's a victory and light shines right we're back to the same i think power yeah yeah that's that's really interesting because i think buddhism has maybe an easier time recognizing the sort of flaws of its big figures you know and even would celebrate them a bit than christianity which yes in some ways has to sort of at least in some way it's for some some people will sort of banish the the problem yeah it, it, in its simple form right it's simplified form yeah it's it's that's a simple form of morality too it doesn't include the rich territory actually of that the world of morality yeah yeah and that's a i think it's really important to bring up because people think of christianity will often think of christianity kind of across the board as being a sort of purity cult but it's not I mean, there are plenty of versions of it that are not, you know, and, um, and in fact, really like the basis of it would be like, no, like the whole thing is based on the fact that purity is pretty impossible. And that's why you ask for forgiveness and you brave and you realize uh. that actually purity is sort of the baseline really when it comes to it, because yeah. you're always forgiven, but, yeah. but you're, but your feeling of your own karma and your own mm. sins and missing mm. the mark keep pulling you back into the notion that you're impure and you have to clean yourself. You have to. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we like get that. as a movement very into very heretical territory. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, think about, think about what it would mean if what, Christ, what the the mission of christianity was was to absolve people of their sins mm. meaning you are now separated from them mm. we cut them off from you so that would be like <clears throat> i'm a kid and i break a window and somebody else always cleans up the mess 
and I never bear the consequences. We know from psychology, we actually have a name for it now. I think it was some, it was a terrible story in Texas, a young man, 20, or 21, two, ran over civilians in his fancy car. And, you know, the rich family just stepped in and basically made it go away. And actually they made a case like, like he had no sense of responsibility for what he had done because mm-hmm. that had always happened in his life. Mm-hmm. So basically the idea of spoiled <laughs> is an idea. Actually, it's a moral idea that the I, the self grows and matures through bearing responsibility for what it has done. Like I did that. That's on me. That's what we call inner strength, actually. Someone is like, well, what, what? Well, all oh, I was sick or making excuses and all, you know, trying to get around or would you deal with it? That's how you weaken a being. So for us, like actually our sins are like the most precious substance. Mm-hmm. It's actually a sacred thing. And Christ's power is in part to work to keep us connected to them. <laughs> Mm. because in them is the whole story of our becoming mm. it's a big this is a big one of course big territory but it, it it's where oh. we really really differ oh it's so i mean i brought this up on an episode not too long ago and i had to be very careful in the way i worded it not because i'm afraid of backlash but because i know how alienating a statement like this oh yeah it's not brought in which is you know the occult or esoteric lesson which is that everything bad that half bad in quotes that happens mm-hmm. in your life is your responsibility and everything mm-hmm. good that happens comes from the gods or god and that <laughs> lesson is the exact opposite in some ways of how we view things um or how we widely view things and it takes so much to pull that apart because you know the the, one immediately people hear questions and statements of blame and fault and wrong actually Mm -hmm. those don't even those don't even enter into the lesson. That's actually something completely different. And those are completely different questions because suddenly the entire moral and ethical landscape are changed in a way that Mm. does not let these really, in some ways, petty questions comparatively of blame uh, approach. Um, oh, so you're saying it's people's fault if they suffer? No, not at all. Actually, that that concern is so distant from this from this idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough. It is tough, <laughs> and you get into really profound territory. But I think it's because, I mean, this thing comes up for Jonah and me in our conversations a lot. Like a lot of the another big cause, right, for wounding is there's like a truthful or good idea just being applied in the wrong place yeah (laughs) and if we could figure out oh no it just needs to come over in this direction then it will play a healthy role Mm. and what i hear you just describe was 
something I can work on inside myself? How do I orient myself to the blows of destiny? Mm. If I'm fighting them and hating them and thinking it's all somebody other's fault, I'm not receiving what they are there to give. What they are, they're actually bringing rich gifts to me for my whole unfolding and becoming. Now, <laughs> if I love myself just the way I am and don't think I need to grow at all, I'm going to keep fighting them. But if I believe I'm on the way, then I, I reorient myself towards all of these painful difficulties like, oh, okay, this is for me and from me. Yes. <laughs> for me and from, but that's something that happens internally. If I come to you kind of like, well, oh, look what's happening in your life. You know, well, you know, you had it coming, you know, you must've done this to yourself. I'm doing a kind of violence to you. I'm not loving it. Yes. So it's when I'm directing that mode of judgment upon another mm. that we get into deep danger. Mm. But when I internally cultivate it in myself and my own orientation, it can be really healthy. Yeah. I'm glad you said it that way because that's, that's the framework I used to talk about consent on the show a lot. I'm like, mm. nobody mm. has the right to violate your boundaries but maybe you want to look at why they are there and what they are so they're not const so you're not constantly a you know um like you're not an operation game where, where like the slightest <laughs> you know miss movement will light up your nose you know but also like you know but also like you can lash out i mean boundaries can be really weaponized you know and oh and my gosh well and so how do we, you know, how do we say it's not on you to bring me to my freedom to examine my boundaries? And that's the same thing with what you're saying right now. It's not my job to go up to people and say, well, have you thought about how this is your fault? In the landscape? It's just yeah. horrible. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Because I wouldn't uh. even be able to identify how that was so. Because when I look at someone, I would be like, well, I can see what your material circumstances are and maybe how this decision led to your circumstance. But why did you make this decision? What is it in you? What's the challenge? That's, that's really up to you. you know? I, and I can tell you, man. So I, I have a, you know, I probably have a number, but I have a, a, as a young person, just a really strong failing in this regard. Like I, yeah, like I had to, you know. You wanted to be the one that showed people. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's just so right. When you get a good glimpse of your own shadow, man, it is not tasty. It's not tasty. It's just awful. And the arrogance in it, the spiritual, spiritual arrogance is the worst. That's why in the gospels, when you, when you read them, Jesus is this loving, kind, healing being. And then he talks to the spiritual leaders who are screwing with people and he lets them have it. Yeah. All of a sudden he's like, he, yeah, he doesn't spare anything for those who are spiritually misleading people. So there I was, I mean, it was high school. I do give myself a little break there, <laughs> but it was a, it was a fellow classmate and they had left the school had to for different reasons and inwardly in their hearts still wanted to be in the class so they kept coming to like school functions and class functions and were like attached to the class and i could see from my vantage point how she was getting fake love from people and they actually were like wishing she wasn't there like they would they would two-faced her 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I could see, I think truthfully, what needed to happen for her was letting go and moving on. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> like who died and made me her angel, right? Like, so rather than going and talking to, you know, somebody else and be like, hey, you know, how should I approach this? How could I love this person? I took it upon myself, you know, to un. <laughs> Maybe you're recognizing a familiar story. <laughs> to unveil the situation for her, which she was blind to. Because it hurt me to see it. It really did. So it was actually my pain. And I wanted my pain to go away. So I went up to this person and I unveiled something that caused her terrible pain. Mm. Terrible pain. Mm-hmm. For a long time. <sighs> By me saying, you know, seeing, you know, from a higher vantage point, what she needs to develop. And then trying to show her what she needs to develop and say it and unveil it when she herself clearly wasn't yet ready to see it. Now, I will, you know, for whoever cares, we had a chance to reconnect, like, whatever, 30 years later. (laughs) And I asked forgiveness, you know, like, I really, that was, I was so, it was so not my place. And it was at least, I was grateful to hear that she said, ultimately, that blow for me helped me move forward. And I was glad for it, right? But only she can say that. Like, this is this thing, like, It was anyway, just an example how yeah. I, it's just not my place. You can see how much pain is there in even wanting to tell her like, oh, this is so painful to watch, right? Already you're experiencing the pain of the urgency of needing to tell the person when they haven't asked you. Haven't asked. When they ask you, it's different. Never asked. Totally different. Um, but then I like we said, who died and made me her angel. There is like, <laughs> it's like an angel side. It's like, I will sever the cord between you and your angel. Like, I'm going to actually stand in the way because I will be taking over the function of, you know, you being guided into your freedom. And, and that very often slows the process down. And the somebody. amazing thing is, I would say her angel was playing a part in my life. Mm-hmm. by letting me see this yeah. right yeah. including me in her drama uh-huh. but i was then presented with this threshold right here we were we're back to it and like what do i do with what i'm seeing <laughs> right? how do i love in this moment and i took a path you know i took i, tr- I made i made a choice but it was it actually it, it wasn't filled with true compassion and true love. It was, it was more about A, my, my pain and B, my arrogance in my vision. Like I, 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 was gl- I glimpsed this, the, with the eyes of the angel and then I stepped and then I was like through that gift of sight, I was like, oh, now I know. Like I stepped into a place that's just not my job. <laughs> Well, I could just imagine your angel, like, cause the, like, it's like hers and nurse and communication and hers is like, Hey, I'm going to help you give Patrick a lesson now. Exactly. Totally yes. so you're walking towards her making that beeline to say something to her. And your angel's like, no, slow motion, you know? And it, it reminds me of, you know, Byron Katie says this thing, you know, Byron Katie system called the work. Um, which I've talked about in the show before, but mm. I mean, it's just this radical 
has very anthroposophical aspects to it, uh, a radical way of separating thinking and feeling. Not so mm. great on the willing part, but the thinking and feeling, sort of pulling those apart, which is a spiritual task. But it really helps ground you in those times when you're just overwhelmed by your thoughts mm. or your feelings. But it's called the work. And one of the things she says is, as soon as I think someone else needs to do the work, I realize that my work isn't finished, right? And so I think oh, it's like, to say it. yeah, the moment you want to go and tell, give someone the lesson, you realize that there's a lesson for you, yes. you know? Um, so I want to- But shift- you said it, but you, sorry, you just, just really no. quick, because yeah. you, you described the beauty of that and the, the intricacy of the fabric of our destinies with one another, right? Like, yeah. so my, um, you know, what we'll call sin, that is the wounding of her, out of my arrogance mm. and seeing the effects of it mm. helped me see what lived in me that needed to die and transform. I needed my, it was in me. It was going to live itself out. I, and by living itself out, I can see it and feel it and make a new choice or not. But it, by being able to experience it and be connected to it, it plays, as you say, the teacher role it's profound my teacher lives in my sin and the world blows that i experience yeah and then in this moment when you ask her for forgiveness 30 years later or whatever you can see then that when we ask for forgiveness we're actually expressing gratitude it's not just gratitude but it's also not just please forgive me it's Thank you. You know, yeah. That that story was a has been a star for my life of who, who I don't want to be anymore. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we need that too, and and who I long to be. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to make sure. So, people listening to your podcast, and by people, I mean me projecting onto what other people might hear. <laughs> um. Sometimes I think so. It's 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 a pretty mind blowing podcast, I have to say, and it's it's very like I learn something every time, and I by learn I don't just mean intellectually. I I mean something something else uh, as well. I, I really something can can be taught to me by listening to this show, and. <laughs> And I think that people coming to it, because I have this sense of it sometimes, is that, like, I sometimes think, okay, are Patrick and Jonah saying, you know, everything bad is good, except <laughs> not thinking the bad is good. And that's actually bad, right? And I think a lot of people have an issue with that, obviously. It's like, each episode, it's like, well, you think this is bad, but actually, this is actually bad. You know, and um, and then it becomes like, in some ways, then like the 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 very dark path that can take for people is the sort of dark Gnostic path that Christ is the great sort of lie, that actually we should have gone with these other beings, but this being was not the one to go with because this being is saying just suffer, right? So that's that's the spiritual danger. But then I think there's the sort of 
uh, humanistic or secular danger as well, which is, well, if if someone might interpret what you're saying a lot on the show is, well, if the lesson is just to be satisfied with dissatisfaction or mm, to confront mm. and be okay with suffering, why not just choose psychoanalysis? Why not choose a system that says, well, just get in touch with your neuroses, mm. perversion, or psychosis mm. and accept it and you'll be fine. Like my, my friend, very close friend, but there's a fundamental disagreement between us, um, Peter Rollins, who basically you know, part of the emerging church. And, and that's what he does now, you know, and he helps a lot of people because a lot of them are locked into religious fundamentalism, but mm. he's essentially an atheist theologian who teaches people that psychoanalysis can sort of replace religion oh, in wow. a way. Yeah. And, you know, and even, <laughs> and I, I think there is great value in psychoanalysis, uh, contrary to the like one time Rudolf Steiner ever got really angry was, was that Freud. <laughs> Like you read his lectures on Freud, he's like this disgusting science. Like he's really angry. Well, really there's, kind of, there's another human who received it upside the head. That his name was Woodrow Wilson. But anyway, there's, there, oh, yeah, no. there's a few others. That one seems more deserved to me. <laughs> okay, okay. And the Freud enough. one. I mean, I I, under, I understand, but I but but I think like I think that's the those are the two sort of dangers here. One is a spiritual danger of saying, well, we picked the wrong being, and one is the secular danger of, well, why not just do this with analysis? And mm. I think because of my orientation, I'm able to handle that the way that you guys process things, but I, I'm thinking about people who will now mm. go and listen yeah, because of this conversation or, or people who are listening, you know, independently of this conversation or having that struggle when they listen. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there, there, I think somebody, uh, actually, there's a spiritual teacher who recently wrote a book, like, it's all for you, mm. right? The whole idea is that everything, everything that's happening is for your good, for your unfolding, to try to help people learn to open and embrace the darkness, the pain as well as belonging to the story, as belonging to our story, right? So there's some, there's some really deep work to do in that. And I think... <clears throat> I think um, one place you can see a beautiful picture for, I think, the way with this issue is Genesis 1. These ancient Hebrew sages who looked into the origin of reality. And what they saw was first this abyss, this darkness, emptiness, formlessness. It's like not good <laughs> a world that hadn't been filled yet with what we orient ourselves towards the good as and but in the presence of that is a hovering breath spirit that is warming it and perceiving it mm-hmm. what is this situation and what does it need and then the first word is let there be light. Mm. It's reading what's needed, speaking it, actually generating something new. But then you don't hear, and the darkness was dispelled and erased from the universe. (laughs) Instead you hear, and the light was perceived. So there's a looking at the light and a judging of the light, and the light was good. 
and then a dividing of the light and the darkness into day and night. And then there was evening and there was morning one day. So time is generated, the whole day is made, and it includes the darkness. A wholeness is made so that right at the beginning, darkness is going to be a part of the story. It's not excluded from the rest of the story. It's included. But it isn't also just suffered. No way. If, if, the, only, if the only approach to, to being in this universe was simply taking it, <laughs> that, would, that wouldn't yet be the full story, but rather what from the core of your being can you add to make it good? And that's this, as speech-endowed beings, being, you could say, an expression of the creative power that something hidden within our being can be expressed into reality. Mm -hmm. we, we are the ones who can take the hidden world and manifest it and thereby actually add something new. So <clears throat> it falls to us, and you see it all around the earth, a new world is coming into being. I mean, the, the, the city world, the technological world, like a new planet is happening inside this planet through human activity and generative reality. So the artistic impulses, the technological impulses, the building impulses, we are creators. Now, what we create currently is a lot of it is not so beneficial to the earth and to humans. <laughs> but you have to stand in utter awe still at the ingenuity, the effort, the spirituality involved in all of these things, like try to build a bridge or make a computer or like, oh my goodness, right? So we're called towards, right, and the next great project is artificial intelligence and ro robotics. We want to make a new human. Mm -hmm that has consciousness and a body. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, right. Yes, we need to make, we need to generate the new human. Um, that would be one version. <laughs> mm -hmm. there's, there's another version, which is like the sun that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. That is radiant and from its dying, life flourishes. And that's a generative creative act in the darkness so and this is where the two i think connor for me can come together bearing and suffering out of freedom can become a generative power yeah so the idea that everything is for us um i think again it it doesn't allow these other questions to approach in a way. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we the concern of, uh, are you just saying that everything bad happens for a reason or God works in mysterious ways or whatever? <laughs> I mean, those are ways to sort of address, but they yeah. don't satisfy most of us anymore. So, it, it, but, but saying this, it's for us, you know, create something else. But, you know, it's like, it's very hard to touch that 
when it doesn't have to be you live in Palestine and you're, you know, Olive Grove has been destroyed or Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, you, someone, you know, was killed. It can be heartache. It can be not getting a promotion. It can be whatever, where you ask yourself, and I'm not equating those issues, but um, it can be like something that we would consider more mundane, but the emotional charge of it is so intense that to say that it's for us, you know, and like to say, oh, well, yeah, if I look back in like 20 years, I'll see how that fit into the picture. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that that's not what you're saying. And I, 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 but I think still there's this real challenge. Mm. And, you know, Houston Smith said this thing that was like, um, you know, all ideas of utopia are wrong because the, the, because the earth is a testing ground for the human spirit, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I love this, the mm. testing ground for the human spirit. It's almost as if to accept this for us thing, we actually have to reconceptualize the earth itself, right? Yeah. Which yes. Is gift of going there. Um, because what we learn, and I think you said this with Jonah once, it's like, oh, there's this idea somehow, there's a memory of the Garden of Eden mm. that's still with us that tells us that the earth is just perfect. Yeah. Everything is fine and that there will be no trouble. There will be no trouble, but but that's that's not where we're at now. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> we, have different, we have a different kind of earth. And the yeah. task is not to reclaim an old Eden, mm. but actually to move, to bring ourselves to this world and bring it forward through us. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, this is such deep stuff. So I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of threads here. I think one of the themes that's in here that's really key for our time is justice. Mm. Because I think it's like, well, if everything's like, if it's all good, it's just like a kind of just, you know, a superficial California spirituality, that's the way. Um, it's just our, any sensitive heart looks around in themselves, around the world, around their community, around their families and says, no, it's not. It's not, it's not all good. And that's truthful. I don't think that's an illusion, right? And I think that would be, that would be the risk is to say like, well, you're just not seeing Uh how this is actually good. There is of course a higher place to see how the good itself allows for the not good to play a part (laughs) in the emergence of the good. Yes. But that doesn't make the not good good, right? Like, don't, don't, again, it's like that That would be, it's like these layers again. Like, are we look, where are we forming our judgment from? But I think what Martin Luther King Jr. described about the nature of history is needed. So not just the earth, but the earth in time. Mm-hmm. Because, right, like we, we have this painful experience that, people who've just done terrible things get off of facing justice while they're embodied in one lifetime. Mm. And that feels not good. 
because what we see operating in the material world that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction that's how this world stays in balance when those when that balance principle is moved up to the spiritual moral sphere we want to see the same law working that there is justice the scales this i have there, there is this wounding that has happened things have to be righted and so I think the radical, the radical in, 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 the, in the old way of living with that, we would let the powers of vengeance surge inside our being in communities and become the vehicles of that balancing, <laughs> right? I mean, I've just an incredible book I read, um, you know, on the, on the horse tribes of the Native Americans in uh, the Southwest and like what you felt in you as a kind of power of rage to take when, you, when your people had been wounded or your, your village had been slaughtered or your horses had been slaughtered and taken and stolen, like you, you would not have lived your true identity if you just let that be. You just took it and bore it. You had to let that permeate you with a kind of righteous rage and go out and return the favor. That was, that was, and that's like been operating around the earth for a long, long time. And that's why this, this weirdo Jesus shows up and goes, when someone forces you to walk a mile with them, walk one more. Like what? <laughs> When someone steals your cloak, give them your shirt. Huh? When someone smacks you on one side, turn and offer the other. Is he saying, be a victim? Because if, that, if that's the case, if just, just let people trample over you, then I, I couldn't follow him. I don't, that wouldn't be love. That wouldn't be... That, what kind of advice would that be? Like you said, that sounds like a wrong spirit. But I think it's exactly what we were talking about. It's like, how do you actually create the free space inside you and not be overtaken by other forces? From that free space, generative creative actions can happen. Then you have to have trust in the long arc, the moral arc of history that Martin Luther King speaks about, that history is bending towards justice. Like things are going to get worked out, like no single thing. Everyone will experience the blow that belongs to them. <laughs> Nothing will be wasted. But you have to have, discover, I think, the law of karma at work as a, as a good thing, a healing thing that justice is at work in the universe. Otherwise, so creativity, the presence of justice in the universe, those have to come in with the work of the secret of bearing. So much. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, when, when we talk about, I just want to clarify something for people listening that you know when we talk about certain uh societies or communities you know if if a community has a different conception of the body then enacting what we would call violence on the body of another 
is actually a different act. Mm. And I, and I, and so when we talk about the ways that consciousness organizes itself um, across time and in different communities and in different individuals, the same thing isn't always happening just because it looks the same to us. So I just want Mm. to bring that up in the, in the idea of, uh, you know, enacting a kind of rage on somebody, you know, I mean, you can almost read when you read certain um, classical texts, like someone experiencing a spear going through their own body as like, whoa, what is this? You know, there's this different expression and understanding of the body that exists in different cultures i'm i'm one not putting that in any sort of hierarchical trajectory through time and the evolution of consciousness i'm not doing that and i'm also not saying that violence is excusable um from our vantage point um just because people have different views of the body but i just want to point out that maybe something different's happening in the example that you cited but certainly from our perspective now that that christian lesson gives us something that we can that we can take on and and i love that you put it in the the terms of a sort of a sort again a sort of silence and patience where freedom can actually happen it can't happen if there's no silence and patience. It can't happen if someone smacks you and immediately your arm flies out. You know, it just can't. Um, but I also think, like, you know, one of the ways that I talk about this, <laughs> about these the the problems that show up and how we deal with them and whatever is, we we do. The, the human community <laughs> has lots of problems dropped into it, right? Mm-hmm. And globalization has shown us that mm-hmm. all the problems of the world now are, they're, they're all our problems. And this is certainly something that the global crisis with COVID and so forth has brought to people's consciousness mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. something that happens to someone across on the other side of the planet relates to us. And even so much that we might be sitting in our house, not leaving at all for like long periods of time, trying to use numerology and statistics or a kind of palmistry by interpreting (laughs) rising and falling lines on a graph (laughs) um, as like, well, how do I, Mm. how do I connect with what's happening to other people? Mm. Um, So so the globe has become present to us and has been at least since we saw it from the moon it's become internalized we've we're trying to digest the earth in a way now the entirety of the earth so when something happens a war or a fire a flood we we do now encounter it with a kind of sense of feeling that we haven't before so this is all to say that I like now to look at any problem that arises as how's the, how's humanity going to solve this or encounter this? Not, 
this nation, this group of people, these whatever, how are we going to deal with this? And we always come through. We have to. Even if our bodies weren't here, we would have to. But I do think our bodies will be here for a long time. We have to. There's no way out. I mean, the reincarnation itself is a promise of you don't get you, you don't get to not face the problem. <laughs> so that's a beautiful way to say it. You don't get to not face the problem. That's beautiful. No, and th- this is, I mean, I brazenly have said before, and maybe I feel it a little differently right now, but brazenly said before, <laughs> like nuclear war is the easy, it, it's way too easy. Oh, it's way too easy. You know, like we have, we will still have all these responsibilities. Yeah, no. It'd be good. I know, to be totally. That's so right. well said, right? Like the whole, all that, all that literature and film, it's, it's the longing for a reset, right? Like, just like, yeah. okay, everything gets blown up and that whole world is then just gone. And then we can start over maybe. Right. Yeah. But it's not, right. you don't, you don't get it. You don't get to get out that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes I say in reference to, you know, 2000 years from the death and rebirth of Christ. Okay. We are either going to get everything right by 2033, or we're going to have a thousand years of suffering and then we'll get it right. So which one do you want? Right. It's not, (laughs) it's not that, (laughs) it's not that we won't get it right. We will, but which one do you prefer? And so another way of saying that is like, you know, I know Rudolf Steiner and then Houston Smith, who I just mentioned, they were both suspicious of this concept of utopia. But mm. I like using that term. Mm. And even as a term to, 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 to reference social threefolding, which I'm not going to go into for people to show you, just look it up yourself. But I view that as a utopia mechanism in the sense that what if we put something in place that actually helped people gravitate more towards mm. truly a truly Christian life or a truly spiritually infused life where sure we don't have a perfect society, but we have something that pulls us back again and again and again to encountering our own karma and living to the fullest of our own individuation. And wouldn't it be great? And so this is what we're really talking about. I think I just am tired of the same problems. Like right. not that it's not that we'll yes. never ever have no problems, but really these ones. I mean, I was born the year that Vietnam ended, and oh, like since yeah. then it's just been wars. It's just been wars. I mean, again and again and again that the country that I'm from originally mm. starts. Mm. I'm so tired of it. Yeah, oh, like yeah. it's boring. Like that's yes, my way. It is, it is. It's just boring. It's like, I want really? you. I've listened to this record too many times. Yeah. Yeah, so your AI thing that you bring up, Mm. like, and you said this on your show, which I love, you said, you know, we always need an enemy that's almost impossible to overcome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like the video game boss, you know, like that. Yeah, yeah. It's forever. You have to try so many times to try to beat it. But, but, uh, sorry, I'm going to go on for a little bit more and then let you go. You go, you go. Okay, okay. Um, You know, like... (laughs) We, we we have this longing for this conflict with AI. And part of it is because we're sick of these other conflicts. <laughs> yes. I'm ready for this new one. I'm ready to yeah. fight the robot dog. Yeah. You know, with the like I'm ready to deal with robot yeah. bees and all that kind of stuff because I'm fucking tired of the other stuff. Yeah. And like, and also like because 
there's hope in that conflict. Like I talked to James Lovelock on the show and his idea of AI is so beautiful. Hmm. It's scary in its own way too, because he seems a bit mystified or like a bit entranced by it, but, mm-hmm. but it's still good. He's like, look, don't you realize these machines are actually going to solve climate change for us? He's like, yeah. oh, you know, are, mm-hmm. why isn't it hopeful like that these machines, once they re- reach consciousness, they're going to want to have us in their lives as well. And so I, I don't, you know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. lots of ways to approach that. And of course, I'm very suspicious of Ray Kurzweil versions of AI and that yes. kind of stuff. But if you can imagine a kind of like conscious, not a computer human walking around or the robot dogs or any of that kind of shit, but if you can imagine lichens, uh, AI kind of lichens that are regulating atmospheric temperature that have, that have <laughs> right. built themselves and spread across the rocks and have a different mm. kind of consciousness than the ones we're trying to create. You can imagine the hopeful aspects of this as well when we begin to interact with them in the right way, when we assist the right kinds of robotic, mm. quote unquote, life, that sort of thing. And so anyway, that's all just to say that like new problems, new opportunities. That's what we're longing for. I don't want a thousand more years of dealing with just the fucking old shit of war and, you know, and like curmudgeonly social media battles and that kind of shit. I want, you know, I want new things, you know, to deal with. Yeah, I hear you. Totally. I I just, it's a little bit like, well, but then it's just elephants all the way down. And what I... (laughs) What I mean by that, Connor, is that if we think machines are the hope, maybe everyone's forgetting modernity. Maybe everyone is forget. It's like we're going to solve the problem by using the tools that created it. Mm-hmm. So if we have developed organs of perception that can see into the far distance regions of the universe physically, looking for signs of life and all we get is boop and beep and bop (laughs) we shouldn't be surprised Mm. and if we generate all of these nano lichen we shouldn't be surprised if our planet becomes a trash heap (laughs) we just think about the satellites that surround the planet right now it's actually one of those things that's very hard for my heart to even bear it's like there's a whole tons of them that aren't even working it's just space trash is now part of our of the body of the earth. It's just an amazing thought. So what I want to, what if we were to put the same kind of energy, brilliance, power of goodwill and effort and ingenuity, creativity into a human that can heal and love and overcome themselves in patience like you want to you want to you want to resolve wars like we're going to have to become different humans yeah we're going to actually have to in human 1.0 actually generates this stuff so we do need human 2.0 but -hmm. that actually is an a we need to gestate a new human being inside the existing one which is ourselves we need to actually in uh at a higher frequency of existence, generate a new being, a new human. Um, so the same energies that is going into the subnatural work, we need groups of humans who are working on a supernatural 
version, because that's actually going to be a source point for all of our choices. Because, I mean, you increase the gizmo and stick it in the hands of who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, why do nuclear weapons scare us? Because we know ourselves. It's like, you know, my God, like these people could press a red button and we know who they are. And we're like, oh my goodness. Like we have to actually become new humans from the inside out. And, and, and I think that's then from that place, actually our technology will change from that place. It's not like now we will never make technology and we'll just live in some kind of spiritual sphere no no that's also again i think that's an escape route rather than a through route and for me i think that i'm i was so moved by your your description like i want to make a society okay i like that word utopia i think there is work to do to work on society in politics in economics in our schools concrete real work and i would say yes sir Absolutely. I share that. And I would think it comes back to what we talked about with what is true sainthood. It's not perfection, but healthy processes, Mm -hmm. health. We want a healthy society and a healthy society would be one in which, as you said, dealing with think crises and problems and, and our becoming could be done in a way that was fruitful. Right now we are ill as a society. There's all kinds of suffering going on just because of the way we work with money. It's not necessary, it's a system. It's a system that generates unhealth. I can tell you, Connor, one of the most health giving things of my life is the way my paycheck works. Like I am so well as a being Mm -hmm. because I do not work for money. Mm-hmm. That my work is in no relationship with my pay. Mm-hmm. I, I nobody counts my hours. I submit my hours to no one. If I did, I would probably be a little worried how many hours I'm working. <laughs> like if people wanted to count my hours, they would be like, "Dude, you need to stop." Mm-hmm. But I don't because it's my life. I'm living out of love for what I do, and that feeds me. Period. When you're doing what you love, you are fed. And then I also need to eat food and, and feed my family and live in, a, have, a, have you know, a shelter and a car. And, and so I'm in need. To, I, I need. I have life needs and my community tries to offer what it can so that we can live. Mm-hmm. And it's not about salary. It's not about number of hours. It's totally separate. It's like, well, I give everything I can so you can thrive. We give what we can so you can thrive. My whole well-being is so, so thoroughly supported by a systemic goodness. Yes. And you're living along the principle, the real principle of economics, which is a mm. sense of brotherhood and kinship. Yes. Or kinship, if we don't want to say brotherhood. But then, yes. you know, because no one should be paid for their labor. Right. It just doesn't make sense. So no, then my, my work is a part of my sacred being. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like don't, it's not a resource. No, exactly. <laughs> We're back to it. Right. So, but then let me just, let me clarify too, though. We're like, yes, yeah, so if that work needs to be done, I certainly don't side with 
the so-called transhumanist. But I do also recognize that this being, which in anthroposophy is called Ariman, but we can just sort of maybe not go over all of that and just say that this, this development of this technos, this technosis, this technosphere, all that kind of stuff, that that is just, that is an inevitable encounter. And with it, there will be good aspects of it as well. And it's viewed almost entirely negatively, I yeah. find, amongst people that have spiritual yes. yeah. worldviews around this kind of stuff. So this is the Lycans thing, because part of what will happen is just as when we evolved, certain things got cast off of our processes and became animals and plants and all this. Gosh, this, yes. Is, yes. this is a whole other conversation for people, but like, well, is it though, Connor? I think it's right on because right. The cities, the cars and the streets are all cast off. Where did they yes. emerge from? They yes. came out of us. Yeah. We can Amazing. Amazing. And so then as this being comes closer and closer into proximity, into incarnating, there will be things that come off of it that are really beautiful and so this is this lichens thing like there are now computers that or there are now robots quote unquote that self-replicate they're making themselves right so this is what i'm talking about with the lichens like instead of envisioning people like robots in a terminator movie making each other like mm-hmm. there may be organisms that look more like something else that do something else on the planet mm-hmm. you know and and it may also be that part of the function of this being that's approaching is to take up some of the physical processes that we take for granted, you know, give to, give to God, what is God and Aramon's what is Aramon's. Like there may be processes that are meant to be taken up. And so, you know, and the something that you and Jonah bring up all the time really beautifully is like, Look, if you think that a person is your enemy ever, you've got it wrong. There's no person is your enemy. There are spiritual forces, powers and principalities, you know, and maybe some of the other ones as well, the powers and principalities. Or, you know, in Georg Kuhlman's words, your enemy is not your enemy. Your enemy is not your enemy. But that applies also to this being, this armor. Yeah. Not really your enemy. Yes. So how do we create? over the next <laughs> mm. shit 30, 11 years over the next 11 <laughs> right you set this deadline at 2023 <laughs> i'm like oh boy i just arbitrarily yeah. well i'm not I like arbit- it. i'm I I'm, I'm selecting a deadline that someone else yeah. has given you know That's as a rich as, one yeah yeah but the but the you know the how do we how do we over these 11 years say mm. ah hi hi little brother um you're struggling to be you don't know what the hell you're doing in relation to us because you're you're struggling to be uh in this plane is actually damaging and counter to who we are right now so we've got to help you not to help you reach your aims but to help you stay in the right place be held the right way embraced to grow the right way so that when you're ready to encounter what it's like to have a heart, you can, and then we can be together in this. So that's sort of the challenge is like the technology is going to replicate itself, all that, you know, and, and, and we're going to have to do inner development, of course, but it's a dual, 
process of we're doing the inner development, the things that we've created are sort of self-replicating themselves. And so it's all going to have to happen at once. And to treat that as an enemy, I think isn't going to work, but, but before I'm sorry, I went on so long with that, but before we go, I think we should probably talk about Christ for a minute. Um, oh, haven't we? I thought we were the whole time. I thought we were talking about the whole, whole time. <laughs> what are you talking about? Just sort of directly because, you know, there's this, the, the way you describe it is so beautiful in relation to all this God shit was so beautiful, which is, the the world, the body, everything in material is in a way it belongs to the devil. And I don't mean that in a bad way. The mm. devil has the devil and the many the kinds of devils. Yeah. But we stand into Christ. We step within Christ and then we're embraced by something that cannot be touched by any of that because it cannot be touched by materiality. So who... Or cannot be um, clutched. Maybe. Clutched. So who... Tell me a little bit more. Go a little more with this being that we stand within, along with, that we are always embraced by and standing within, but, but, to, but to take the step is our is our own freedom to recognize that we're within mm. can can you just talk about that a little bit more because i think this is what we need yeah. now to get back to that original quote from the beginning of the episode of from Alf, alfred heidenreich mm. i mean I, I guess i meant that very seriously when i said i feel like we've been talking about him all the time because if if he's of any importance, then he is a cosmic being that is a being of the universe and has that magnitude and has expressed its nature in creation, meaning in, in natural phenomena. And when we try to describe what the sun is doing, that, that is why most ancient cultures saw the creator divinity especially strongly expressed in our star in our in this celestial body above us whose gifts are not for itself but so that we can this whole world can appear be seen can unfold and become what it is meant to be every single little Daisy, the sun is saying, who are you? And it says that through light. And it's, say, well, I can show you who I am because of your warm interest. And that's in that warmth, that loving interest is in the sun. And then you see things burst open and unfold like flowers. Every plant is praying, by the way. <laughs> They're praying to the source of their life. They're reaching up. They know they, they, they have something special within them, but they can't unfold without the gift that comes from a higher place. So they orient themselves towards that, that core giver, that, the one who gifts itself. And that allows them to unfold and gives them life. So this, this light and warmth and life are that pouring down from a 
from a core place for the life of the world. And so we've been, we've all, if, if when we say these ancient cultures, that's you and me, we were, we were somewhere in some culture multiple times, hmm. whether it was raw or whether it was, you know, hmm. I think the Navajo felt they had to sing their songs in the morning to help the sunrise. This relationship actually between the human heart and the sun that has always been there. And why, why altars were felt to be the way you could connect to the divine creator was that's where you come and sacrifice. If you're a sacrificer, you will feel the sacrificer in you. You have to awaken the giver in you to feel the giver of the universe. Mm. So that, that's, that's that place. And so when, you know, people who, who call themselves Christians are people who look at this hill in Palestine and see a human opening his arms wide and pouring out his very life forces, letting them flow into the earth and saying to the people who've murdered him, forgive them. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> there's just this generative, he, he can't be killed because he can freely offer himself. That's the one that's untouchable. Mm -hmm. You can't, the one who thinks they can have the last power over you is who, the one who threatens your life. You can't threaten my life. I give my life. <laughs> he is the truly free one. So he's there in an individual human form expressing the sun. So Christians would look at this hill and they see that cross and they see and they call it good friday <laughs> because they experience oh my gosh there's something radiating from this human that used to radiate from above in the sun it's radiating in the human sphere and you just see it in all of his life the what who he touches and relates with and has dinner with and who he heals and who how he breaks every controlling border <laughs> for the cause of healing and love so you see it in the human form but then so then he resurrects and then he is ascends into higher spheres of the clouds like what's going on there and his community who is near him looks up and they can't see him anymore he says i have to go away for your sake but i'm going to send you a gift and that is that spirit of loving sacrifice can now live in your own hearts. That generative sun power can awaken actually in each human heart now. So I'm gonna gift that gift to you. Everyone who opens their heart to it, I'll gift it. But I'm not gonna force it on anyone either because I love people. <laughs> so the, la the, the next layer between that microcosmic human being and that macrocosmic sun is the community, the mesocosmic, the mesocosmos. He is a community. And what he's interested in that community is human beings from every nation, race, tongue, actually the, the overcoming of all that separates us in community to form a new human community, which you're not, you don't lose your identity, but you bring it in as a gift for the whole. So this new humanity, the new human community, where actually what is bonding each person is not the old ties of blood and family and kinship 
but reborn at a higher level of free bond. I love you not because I was simply born to be in your connection, but because I choose to offer you my heart. Uh, it's so, it's just every part of what you said is so stirring to me. Funny how something can be stirring though you know it. Yeah, I, mean, I can hear this story. I just read, to, right? I could hear it. I, my heart is moved every time. Yeah. It, it. <laughs> I mean, and, and that, that they've murdered me, forgive them. They've murdered me, you know? And then, and then even, you know, this story was so profound for me, even down to the center of the earth. Yeah. Encounter a being that is so powerful because it is a being of power that could overcome this cosmic Christ being Mm -hmm. with power. If that were the struggle that would happen. Yes. And for Christ to say, ah, I walk away from the conflict. Go ahead. Have all the power, have all of it. And that is how (laughs) he wins. So to speak as if winning is like the right, I, I give it over. I give, I give up. And that, that to be actually the way out of the struggle, that actually to leave the realm of the struggle and to find within us that every battle, every deep battle with ourselves is a battle of peace. Mm. I mean, how strange, mm. how strange. Because the exoteric battle battles are battles of power, you know? Yes. Within us, it's always a battle of peace. Because that's been done. That's been given. That'll be the fruit. Yeah. Oh my gosh. May I just mention, because he's one of our recent saints, like no question, like a high, you know, I'm not sure what was left for him to do besides radiate. <laughs> and that's Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, His poem, Recommendations. Have you read that? Mm-mm. Oh, Connor. <laughs> well, I'm not going to take the time now because it's a little bit long. Okay. Recommendation. It's 1965. The Vietnam War is still going. Mm. There's a youth service work he's, he's mentoring as a Buddhist monk who is practicing engaged Buddhism. He's part of generating actually a new step in Buddhistic evolution. And they've just witnessed these horrible things to their own young people and they're full of rage understandably justifiably Mm -hmm. and he gives a poem of the battle of peace that you just described and it is an initiation poem Mm -hmm. i i just as a teaser it's so because he he says that 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 there is a beast in me Mm -hmm. that would destroy And I have a I have a battle to face there, and he, to put it it's a maybe simply he says, I I look at him and I smile, <laughs> and I, I I face him with that energy and 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 he describes yeah it's just it's so powerful recommendation <laughs> recommendation. Well, um, thank you for the recommendation. Um, if I. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, 
if I find that, yeah, I will, I will read it after the episode ends for people mm-hmm. listening. Um, so I just want to thank you for your time, Patrick. It's been a wonderful conversation and our first one. So thank you. <laughs> I'm really glad you said our first one. I hope there'll be a few more for my, you know, whether it's press record or not. Um, yeah, I'm thankful. I'm just as a witness to your work and your practice of listening and hearing and being in conversation with other humans who are trying to generate and, and offer light into the darkness in their way and trying to see and understand how they're working in that direction uh, and how you help and bring, I find a healing in our own lines of thinking and thought and how to, how to approach this world right now, which is so hard. <laughs> I'm just very thankful. Very thankful. Well, thank you. And uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Bye now.